0: IYO What is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast, where we interview people behind the top e-commerce and direct consumer and retail consumer brands. Really excited for this episode, but before we get into that, I'm Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO of Waybreak. We help brands maximize their revenue from email and SMS marketing. If you run a brand and you're operating, you know, either at nothing or you know you could be doing better and sending more segmented emails and just having a more targeted, robust approach and, you know, leveling up your creative and just being able to scale an email program that's going to last in 2021 and perform at an extremely high level in 2021 and beyond. Hit us up. You can learn more about what we do at wavebreak.com. Uh, and if you want to get our insights uh, and learn more about how you can do it yourself or just see how we think about things and get on our email list, go to wavebreak.co slash resources. You can get on my insider email list. Uh, you can see like how we email as an agency uh, to you, uh, you know, marketers and founders. It's a really great resource where we share like trends on what's happening in the marketplace, what we're doing with our clients. And it's just a, just a really good newsletter all around. It's subscribed to you by top brands. And there's a lot of great info on that. And go check that out, waybreak.co slash resources. Uh, really excited for this episode. Uh, today on the show, I've got Hugh. He runs a company called Ugly. Um, <laughs> he's the co-founder and, and CEO of a company called Ugly. Uh, they make drinks. And I'll let him explain a little bit more about what that means in a second. But uh, Hugh Thomas started the company back in 2015. And they're in a space that's that's competitive yet they're doing a great job at growing fast standing out and um he has a really big vision and those are a couple things i want to highlight is notice how he talks about his vision for the company and how he thinks about things. Um, I would challenge you as a listener, like think bigger, like listen to Hugh's vision and think about how you could set up a similar vision for yourself. Like, do you even have a vision? Like what is your end goal? Uh, You know, he wants to build a really big business, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, And then the other thing is just like standing out in a crowded marketplace, like more and more, you know, brands are, are starting to copy each other and it's harder and harder to stand out. So Uh, That's something that that Hugh and his team at Ugly have been able to do really well is like build a brand that stands out. I mean, the name Ugly says a lot, Uh, and we talk about that too and like give examples of other brands that are famous and and really well-known in today's marketplace that started out with a name like Ugly that's kind of like, oh, that's that's different, Um, but now they're mainstream because the brands are mainstream. So really, really good episode, really excited for this one. So let's hop right into it. Hugh, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Dylan. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited to chat today. So first of all, the name. So for people who are unfamiliar, <laughs> Ugly Drinks, w- what is an Ugly Drink?
1: So yeah, it's a great question. So um, obviously it's a name that people aren't going to forget in a hurry, but Ugly is a flavoured sparkling water and water business. We started uh, for three, four years ago in the UK, now obviously in the US, so... I am British, but based in America, running the business over here. Um, and we started with the with the mission to help people stop drinking sugary and sweetened soda. There are 100 million obese Americans. There are uh, the equivalent proportion of the UK population in the same place. And um, overconsumption of sugar has just been something that has caused many of these problems, and will continue to cause many issues, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and the kind of the impacts of that are, are massive. Yeah. So when we when we initially had the idea for the business, we wanted to give people a product that was fun, affordable, healthy, but just kind of gave people an alternative to that sugary sweetened soda moment. Um, and we looked at the big brands, and this was at the time when kind of fake news as an idea had just emerged. And we were like, well, it's actually quite a lot of similarities in terms of fake news, alternative facts, and what people are eating and drinking. And, you know, no one really knows a lot of the ingredients on the back of the packs from the big food companies. And so we read a quote from George Orwell, which was, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And we just wanted to uh, give consumers, and particularly ourselves at the time, an affordable canned refreshment moment that had none of the bad stuff and told the ugly truth and then we got we had that idea around let's just tell the ugly truth and then the name ugly came from there and then we built this built this brand around kind of breaking the status quo being subversive and that's kind of what Ugly's all about it's all about you know a different way of of consuming carbonated drinks and, and ultimately making water more fun to drink so it's kind of what we're all about counterculture and uh building a brand that really resonates with people versus the kind of the big soda companies of yesteryear
0: yeah that's awesome and i was going to ask about the name but you already explained that but what's what's your background look like have you always been in the space like do you have a background in fizzy drinks uh is it nutrition because obviously that's a big uh you know key part of why you're doing this or like what 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 were you doing before ugly
1: so interestingly I've actually um, worked in the food and beverage space kind of since I graduated we started ugly when I was in my early 20s so it's not like I had a long illustrious career before we did this but um I did previously work for vitacoco the coconut water business which was a which was an amazing ride and and really kind of grew because it was healthier than sports drinks and healthier than other juices and things like that and really when when we were working there Joe my co-founder and I we were We just recognized people wanted easier, healthy choices and they wanted to make fun choices and they wanted products that didn't have lots of sugar in. And so, you know, we we just found that there was an opportunity there for us to kind of strip the bad stuff out. Um, And so once you'd worked at a beverage company like that with an amazing culture and amazing team, we kind of got the bug and wanted to set out and do it ourselves. And working for an American company, which Vitacoco is too, in the UK always just had this this thing about coming back and doing it the other way um so that's kind of why we started in my in my bedroom and my or in our apartment my apartment in london and, and decided you know to to have the vision of expanding globally one day so that's kind of we now have businesses in both countries so yeah it's been a pretty crazy ride
0: yeah that's awesome and like what what year was that when you were just starting out
1: so yeah, I mean, there's two, there's two, there's two day ones, right? There's the day one where you're like, oh, I've got this crazy idea, and you're sat, <laughs> right. You're sat in a pub in England, and you're going, that sounds like something we should do for the next ten years. And then there is the actual day one. So uh, really, kind of day one of the business was like, you know, early January 2015 is when we kind of really kind of started working on this and really thinking about it seriously, rather than it just being a pie in the sky idea. And then we launched a year later in 2016. So. Business is just over four years old. Um, we were the first kind of flavored sparkling water in a can in the UK. So we are, you know, there's no LaCroix in England, for example, so that is that is what we brought to the UK. And then we launched over here just over two years ago now. So uh, kind of just past our second birthday in the US.
0: Got it, awesome. Yeah, and w- w- what was the competitive landscape like in, in 2015? Like w- what did that look like and how did that play into launching the brand? Because there's a lot of, you know, even now like there's big players, um you know in the space a lot of the companies that you're like you know trying to not be you know they're launching products in the space like what has that been like you know from 2015
1: to now yeah and, and and that's a great point and it's great that people are launching products that don't have sugar and sweetener in so you know in the if I talk about the U.S. you have you have a brand like LaCroix which is around for kind of 25 20 you know 20 plus 25 plus years and kind of was just bobbing along and then it really took off with the consumers over the last kind of five, six years and has just exploded in growth. Um, and then others have joined the category, but the way we've always felt is that there's just an opportunity for a brand that has authenticity, you know, the ability to play with crazier flavors, with crazier branding, doing marketing in a in a new way. This the whole D2C model, we were one of the first kind of RTD beverage brands to to explore it. You know, we started with Shopify in the UK in 2015 uh, or 2016. So we've been doing kind of selling product online for a long time. And we felt that the big brands uh, aren't able to build those community direct relationships with consumers in the same way. Um, and we also wanted to work with our community uh, with Flavoured Sparkling Water as a platform to create, you know, flavors that maybe a big company would never even go near. And so we've always felt that we can be the brave brand, the brand that, um, disrupts the status quo, offers something different and speaks to a younger demographic ultimately, um, where a lot of the kind of sparkling waters in the set speak to a, a kind of a middle-aged consumer or a healthy millennial. Ugly is kind of positioned slightly younger and in a more rebellious way. Uh, we, we've given ourselves permission to do a marshmallow flavor like we did on D2C last month and uh, just push things a little bit further. And I think when you're talking about a US soda market being worth million million, and the U.S. sparkling water bit market being just over three billion this year. Um, kind of five years ago is doing five hundred million. You know, there's so much room for this to grow, and so many calories that are still being consumed that we we as a category can kind of give people an alternative too. So we still feel like this is just the beginning, despite there being a lot of new entrants, a lot of new, a lot of new cat- people coming into the category.
0: Yeah, for sure. And with that, like competition you guys are doing a really good job on the branding side of standing out because like if you go like even just going to direct consumer site ugly like it looks good and like i don't know if you saw this there's a article recently about like the typical like d2c brand aesthetic where it's like everything kind of like looks the same i feel like you have the like a, a young fresh look without the same like d2c like like you know what i'm talking about
1: yeah no totally I um you know this brand is comes from the soul right this is this was a mission we set out on to disrupt the companies we're talking about this isn't a brand that's been built in a laboratory with a with a business school degree behind it and kind of the classic venture capital base this is a a brand with soul a brand with authenticity the words on the can the words on the website the name the kind of the visual identity is all from the founding team and because we're authentic, we don't have to pretend to be anything we're not. And I think consumers love that. And I think uh, my personal opinion is that so many brands have kind of followed a playbook and a a kind of a formula, but at the end of the day, it just lacks soul. And I think people want to buy products and brands from 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 you know storytellers and people that want to bring you into something that's much bigger than just the beverage company. So that's always been important to us. And Sometimes it makes life harder, but at the end of the day, it makes us harder to copy as well because, you know, every decision we make is authentic and comes from what, you know, really within us. And therefore, it's really hard for a big company or, an, or another startup to copy us.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's so often in this industry, too. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's like monkey see, monkey do. Like everybody is like looking at the person like one step ahead of them or even their competitors. And it's like like... There's this one space in particular, I'm not going to get specific about it, but like, all the websites look the same. And like one person goes from a black site to a white site, and then the whole space changed to white site. Um, that, that's what I really like about yours is it's like, really, nobody has a site that looks like yours, like very few companies do. And it's just super fun. And, it, and it's against the grain. Like, how do you come up with these ideas? Well,
1: that's, I mean, that's it. I mean, firstly, it's like we want to have a business that's around for 100 years plus, right? And all of the iconic brands I look up to or our team looks up to, and, you know, they stand out from the crowd. And that's that's how you disrupt. There's um, Seth Godin, the writer and marketing thinker, talks about the concept of the purple cow, where you're going past fields and fields of cows. And then in one of the fields, one of the cows is painted purple. And then you ask that person, what do they remember about the fields of cows? And they talk about the purple cow. And it's kind of the same in consumer products. We have to stand out on shelf. We have to stand out online and we have to stand out amongst the sea of other uh, startups. So how are you going to do that? And you have to be brave and you have to make decisions that allow you to stand out. And if you want to be remembered and you want to be remarkable, you have to do something that's worth remarking on. And I think if you decide to just blend in, you're never going to get that that kind of differential uh, moment. So that, that I kind of that's the first point. In terms of where the ideas come from, I think it's... I think it's just a a case of us absorbing lots of different things over a long period of time from lots of different places. So most of our inspiration comes from outside of the category. You know, we've been inspired by craft beer. We've been inspired by artists, by musicians, by uh, creators, chefs in particular. I know, you know, and kind of the creative disruption in a lot of those industries really inspired us to really be brave and really push things forward. And then when it comes to visual identity, it's always kind of, it, you know, a lot of this is inspired by street art. It's inspired by, you know, other creators that we see creating great things and being brave and pushing things out there and taking those ideas and, you know, letting them percolate over time. And then it, it kind of allows you to be more creative and more on the edge. So having lots of inputs and lots of things that inspire us beyond me just looking at other beverages or what other people are doing. Like, I don't really look at what anyone else in our category is doing because I know it's not going to help me be original or have original ideas so it's actually just a case of being interested and being interested in lots of things i think is the advantage our team has
0: yeah that's awesome and it makes a lot of sense like one thing you mentioned is like you're trying to build a brand that lasts 100 plus years like what what is the the end game for you like are you looking to you know get acquired by one of those big companies like if coca-cola comes to you and like wants to buy you is that your plan like do you want to exit the business or what does that look like
1: yeah. I mean, there's lo- lots of ways of, of getting to the goal, but the goal is always to try and get people to stop drinking soda. And we feel like if we can solve that issue for people, we'll build a big business and therefore lots of opportunities will come. But you have to remember that the Seltzer market we've just spoken about is really nascent globally. This market in the US is is the biggest. If you're talking about some of the biggest soda consuming markets in the in the world, they don't have flavored sparkling water yet. So you know, we see what we're building as an international business. We're already international. We're distributed across Europe. We're in the Middle East. We're in we're in America. Obviously, the opportunity is big in those markets. But, you know, there, there are people drinking soda and, and drinking sugar in a, pretty much every country in the world, if not every country in the world. And so we feel there's a big opportunity for us to be bigger than just a, a U.S. brand and certainly continue to build a sparkling water business. And if those if opportunities and the best way for us to to achieve that mission is to partner with a strategic or equivalent and then we will look at or we'll look at those but for me it's it's always just been about building something that lasts a long time and helps people make healthier decisions and what really gets us passionate is helping people of all backgrounds and all kind of price points make healthy decisions too many healthy products are expensive too many healthy products cost five dollars ten dollars and you know people just can't afford that an eight pack of ugly in a in a retailer here is three dollars ninety nine. so it's it's not gonna break the bank to have an ugly habit. whereas if you're drinking green juice, kombucha and products like that, it can become very expensive. and we just wanted to democratize that. So that's kind of what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and along the way, so one thing I like how you mentioned is like, yeah, we have the end goal, but like how we get there, we could do it with a partner, we could do it alone. I think that's awesome um and not just making the end end goal like oh it's an exit or it's this or that it's like no the end goal is much bigger than that um and and speaking of that like where so you started an apartment in 2015 and now you know you're in stores you have the direct consumer side uh you know there's different different places that you're selling online like how did you fund this business was it out of your own pocket have you raised money what does that look like Yes. So the
1: start of the business was, was Joe and myself kind of saving money whilst we were working and starting it in the early hours and the evenings around our jobs. We got it quite a long way doing that. And then obviously in the beverage business, we needed to make a lot of cans at some put, certain points. And so we initially raised money from a small group of friends and family, you know, like people putting in small checks who believed in us. And then once we've used that capital, we'd actually proven a lot out. We were in You know, probably a thousand retailers in the UK. We're in Whole Foods. We're in some of the larger supermarkets. And we actually met some of our lead investors doing demos in Selfridges, which is a big department store in London. Um, And now they're kind of some of our lead investors today. And then I guess as the thing snowballs, you meet a lot of people on the way People believe in our mission, believe in our journey. Uh, we obviously need capital to grow a beverage company. It's a capital-intensive business, and so we've met some amazing people who believe in the same vision that I just outlined to you, who believe in the team, and um, they've been, you know, supported us and backed us to to continue to follow that dream. So, forever in debt to those people who put us in this position, and that you know our team kind of feels responsible to to that as well. So yeah that's kind of how we made it but yeah we started it with not an idea of what we were doing just two two laptops and probably a thousand dollars in the bank
0: basically i love it that's awesome and now you know quickly growing into a leader in the space like and and what does the day-to-day look like now like of this larger vision that you have like so you've got the resources you've got this momentum like like a related point off that is like you have all these different places where like you even you personally you know as co-founder and CEO of this business that you could be focusing on like how do you know where to focus your time like so that you know like okay we're working towards a vision I'm in the right place right time like how do you think about like the day-to-day exec- execution of things
1: no it's it's very challenging right and and this year's thrown a lot of curveballs at everyone and um, you know we, our team is fully remote now so we have employees right now we have employees in South Africa um, you know working remotely in, in the UK on both coasts of the US and so for a long time, having two co-founders, because, you know, Joe, my co-founder, was based in the UK. The two of us kind of, we, and as an organization, got used to working on Zoom and working remotely. So we are very good now at being very fluid. And so there isn't a beginning, an end to the ugly day, if that makes any sense. We're kind of, there's probably someone always working ugly now around the clock, give or take a few hours um, on the West Coast when people might go to sleep. So our team's become very fluid and we obviously use a lot of online tools to kind of coordinate. So kind of that's how the day to day goes. And obviously this year spending a lot more time on Zoom than normal. But for us, I think it's just being very clear on what the next layer of the onion that we want to want to peel back is going to be. And um, when we approach kind of the U.S., for example, it was always like you can't eat. And I know I'm just full of cliches here, but you can't eat, eat an elephant at once. Right. You have to break it into bite sized pieces. And the US really is that. I think it can be overwhelming coming from the UK and looking at the scale of the country. But actually, break it up. You start with kind of what are we going to do in the online channel? What's our, you know, how do we segment our retail business so we can focus on it? How does it get us to the next stage of where we're trying to get to? And what are the five, six things we're going to achieve to do that? So for every channel of the business, and we are Omnichannel. So whether it's Amazon, direct-to-consumer, retail, we have those broken down into bite-sized chunks into and into pillars that we can follow and it's the same in the UK too and then you know we're blessed to have a team that is you know works super hard and pushes really hard and too because there is a lot of plate spinning got used to plate spinning and I mean you know, it's just remarkable this year in particular to watch how our teams just like um stepped up to the challenge of kind of working remotely and being in lockdown and still making as much happen as they do uh, without being able to visit factories, visit distributors, visit agencies. Um, So yeah, it's been a really interesting year for us. And yeah, lots of challenges. And I'm sure anyone
0: listening to this would feel the same. Let's take a quick break and get a word from our sponsor. Listen, it's getting more expensive to drive profitable traffic to your website every month, every year you need to do everything you can to maximize conversions that's why i love and use today's sponsor justuno they're the best tool in the game for converse rate optimization two things i really love about them right now i mean they're first of all they're a really great company really great team uh you know one of the best to work with uh but two features i love of justuno number one they have these ai powered upsells that you can take and put anywhere in your store that has HTML. So you can put them in the checkout, you can put them in your cart, you can put them on the product page. This is their Justuno Plus product. And what's great about that, it has this AI in it that tracks buyer behavior and puts recommendations that people are actually going to buy. So you get more conversions, and you get higher average order value. And it's just going to help your business scale a lot easier. And it's really easy to set up because you also get a strategist with it. And the Justuno Plus strategist, they know exactly what's working and how the best brands are leveraging Justuno. And they can take that insight and apply it to your brand with zero learning curve um, and help you drive more conversions using their platform on your website. The second thing I really love about JustUno is their advanced list growth tools uh, and specifically how you can segment based on traffic and a ton of other different metrics so you can really maximize list growth as well as conversions using on-site pop-ups and different promotions that they have. Um, And all of this works extremely well. Uh, JustUno customers see an average of 135% lift in revenue during their first year using the platform. And what's awesome about it is it also links to Klaviyo, PostGrip, and all the other software Software that you use, So you can close the loop, link everything together, everything's personalized, everything's automated, it's all nice and flows and connected, um, and it drives great results. So if you want to learn more about JustDuno Plus and snag a sweet discount because you're a listener of this podcast, all you got to do is go to justdunocom slash wavebreak. Link is down in the show notes below. It's justuno.com slash wavebreak. Sign up for a free trial and get 20% off your first year by using code wavebreak. Like I said, it's down in the show notes below. Go check them out. Let's get back into this episode. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I think it's super helpful for other people to have like perspective of the, the breakdown because I feel like podcasts get so high level sometimes. That it's like, wait, how do I actually <laughs> function and think yeah. about the day to day? You know, it's like I, I already have a big dream. And it's, it's cool to hear other people have big dreams and like how they think about different things. But yeah, that's that's why I wanted to ask the question. And that's, well, that, like, that's super fascinating. It's, it's a great point. Like we
1: started in one store, right? We had we, we had some product and we went to Selfridges, which is a big department store in London, knocked on the door. Left samples, and then they said, Yeah, we'll take it. And then we did probably a demo in that store every day for a month or so, Joe and I in there, you know, making it happen. And, and that's how we got a great data for our next retailer meetings. We bumped into many people who are still involved in our business today. Uh, and you just have to hustle and make it happen. As I say, this wasn't built in a laboratory. This wasn't a me leaving business school and going, oh, I'm going to do a D2C startup. This is something built with real, you know, real soul. And that's kind of how we we started out. It was two guys in their early 20s who had an idea in the pub and went for it, basically. And and now a few years later, it's really beginning to, to move somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So what's the game plan from here? So recording this at the end of 2020, coming up on it, what's the game plan for like 2021? Like, what are you thinking about, um, you know, 2020 has been a crazy year for retail, for a direct consumer, just like for the world in general, but also the world we operate in. So like yeah. what are you thinking about in terms of, you know, finishing out this year strong? Of course, we have like the holiday season and all that. I'm not sure how much that plays into what you do. Uh but like what does the rest of the, this year look like? And then like what what are some things you're thinking about for 2021?
1: It's a great question and none of us have a crystal ball, right? So we have multiple scenarios that we're looking at. Obviously there's preferred scenarios and Uh, We're all as humans hoping that things like vaccines and, you know, things like lockdown restrictions can be eased because we all want life to get back to some sort of normality. Uh, But we also have to be cautious. And I think we've all seen this year that nothing's to be guaranteed. So, you know, we've built a very sensible, you know, sensible, I say, plan, but it's also ambitious for next year uh, to grow in every channel in both markets. Um, obviously, you know, certain channels, it's, you know, it hard to know how, you know, is office consumption going to come back in the same way next year? Probably not. But who knows? Right. These things can change very quickly. So we're building out sensibly. But for us, it's, it's really about get, continuing to focus on the core, really focus on building our, our retail business in particular. So we have a lot of new flavors that we're launching uh, kind of spring next year um, and a lot of new retail partners as well as we begin to expand our footprint in the U.S., and then we have to we have to react to a new world of marketing to consumers. Can we stand? You know, can we go to music festivals and hand out beverages in 2021? Probably not. So we have to find other interesting ways of marketing to consumers, and that's why D2C for us has been so valuable this year. And uh, one of the things we introduced kind of early summer was we launched a limited edition flavour every month. Um, online so we actually launched fruit punch this week we've got obviously one in december and etc and the best performing flavors we will be launching into our core retail line next year Uh, and they will be flavors that our competitors won't do or can't do or haven't done Um, and things that just excite people so i'm really looking forward to seeing how we can get our community closer to the innovation process for our business we won't just be going okay let's put a a lemon lime and a you know a berry flavor it will be more inventive and it will be really working closely with our community and listening to them to create a range of seltzers and flavor sparkling waters that's different and i think that's what we're working on and learning about how we can get that gap closer between what our consumers want what and what you know what our are all about and i think generally that feels like the direction we're heading in and so making those products available in every channel uh, because people want to buy beverages when they're thirsty or they want to, you know, some people like bang on Amazon. Some people love our direct consumer experience, but really kind of focusing on working with our consumer and community to make products people want I think is the focus for next year.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that was kind of like my biggest question, um, leading up into this interview or like something I wanted to focus on is like you're in a space that's super competitive so like how do you stand out and like with every question I ask every answer you give is like I mean it is a differentiator like just like because it's like oh there's a lot of companies in this space a lot of them are legacy companies you know around 25 years or you know and owned by even bigger companies um, but like the fact that you guys are still like I I, I mean the biggest thing is right like not just like pricing of things, but also like the different flavors and just how, how much fun you're having with it. I think a lot of people can learn from that. And also just like, I love that you're just like being yourself and not looking at other people in the category. Like, how do we catch the leader? Uh, it's more like, how do how do we be different? Uh, because the, the purple cow analogy is so true. And I feel like it gets used so often in the tech space because like everybody loves Seth Godin over there. Um, yeah. But then inside of D2C, it's like everybody wants to look the same for whatever reason. Um, so that's, that's one thing I I really like about you. And I love how that finds its way back into every answer you give. (laughs) Like that's
1: awesome. Totally. And, and, you know, we think through every touch point in the same way, right? So our business cards, when business cards were a thing we used to use, um, our emails, our email signatures, the way we write as a company, every single touch point, we've just recently started doing SMS marketing. Everything kind of ties together through that same thing. And it, it all comes from that central purpose. It's not just a the brand guidelines we have aren't just like something a design agency's produced. Like it's really us in a guide, like it is the team and the way we speak and everything put down in a document. And I think that is so much harder to copy than, um, than a font type. So that's kind of what I really am proud about what we've done
0: yeah that's awesome so to to wrap up here i'm really curious so you said your email signatures are different i have your email pulled up here but like what what's different about your email signature and like how do you think about it versus you know the traditional like Uh, coca-cola
1: well yeah i mean we we're we're iterating those all the time so mine might actually be quite bland today if you've got my most recent email but we're always cycling through different content on there uh we are playing around with job titles we're playing around with you know my business card says um it's like the ugly truth it's like please buy some cans from me <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. um, and like, you know, every every different department has a different kind of tagline with their business, you know, with, and like, we just run everything through the concept that everything communicates. So, you know, uh, we don't, we're not hundred percent where I'd want it to be. I could go through every touch point and our team would be the same and improve it. But, you know, if someone's going to engage with your brand, whether it's the case, the can, uh, the direct consumer box, the the abandoned cart email, the you know the SMS message you get, the presentation you hear, kind of all has to tie together somehow. And I think that's what great brands do. Everything communicates, and I think uh, we try and take that philosophy. Whether it's you know the presentations we show to retailers, uh, to investors, the press releases we write, everything tries to take a view of being ugly ultimately. So, yeah, I think that's kind of one of the things we're, we're trying to focus on.
0: No, like I love the way you think about it. I love the business card. Please buy something from me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's super authentic and super on brand. And I think that's great. And um, like even your, your cookies pop up is like cookies you can't eat, <laughs> which is hilarious.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. And that I mean, we're working on all those things all the time. And, and sometimes you can't spot that touch point. Right. And normally a cookies bar is so boring to click, but. Um, right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cookies you can't eat. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And of course it's like on brand. Like it's not just the typical like boilerplate one that everybody has. It's like you need to accept these cookies before you can like you know, like the top bar or whatever. Like this is like aesthetically pleasing. It's got the blues, it's got the whites, and it just looks super clean. This is one of my favorite colors by the way, this blue. I mean that's like the Waybreak branding too we're probably similar hex codes they're probably in the same family <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah I,
1: I don't have my pantone book on me but we could we could reflect on it after but yeah uh, yeah. yeah the blue was a big thing for us as well was just standing out with block colors that disruptive in the space and that's so that's obviously a big part of what we're all about as well
0: yeah that's huge and i mean even just like picking a color is like standing for something in a world where you know everything's black and white or like everything looks the same and it's just like it's just different. And the site looks different too. Like if you guys want to see what this looks like in practice, go to uglydrinks.com, send somebody from the ugly team an email, head up support. Okay, maybe don't do that. They don't need more tickets. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I really love the branding and I, I love how like the product's different, the branding's different in a competitive space. And I think there's a lot that people can take away from this. Um, and we're starting to come up on time here though, Hugh. And um, just b- before we hop off, like, what, uh, like any kind of words of advice to end on for people who might be, Maybe like afraid to be themselves in their brand?
1: I would I would say if it's much harder to be copied if, if you're authentic all the time. You don't have to worry about anybody, you know, making mistakes if it's authentic, because it is just you. And I think, you know, there's there's probably schools of thoughts and probably people listening to me saying, But the X, Y, and Z works, right? And it works. But the my my approach to business is you have to feel it and you have to be part of it and it has to be something that's, you know, part of your life and you know, you putting your mark on the world. So if that's the type of business you want to run, which is the type of businesses I want to run, then you really have to put yourself into it and to to express yourself and express your view on the world in authentic and a different way. And I think um, so many entrepreneurs get so far with amazing products, opportunities, and then they'll get to the branding and, and they've taken so many risks, leaving their jobs, taking fun, and then they won't take a risk on the branding. And I just, sometimes I'm, you know, the brands I love and and even some of the big brands, if you look at the, you know, you look at beverage, I mean, what, do, you know, Mountain Dew is such a risky brand, right? I mean, it's so out there, Red Bull, Monster. I mean, the name's just, you know, that's where this creative disruption is. And I just would love people to be more brave and take that final risk on branding. But that's my kind of take of view on the world. I think life's too short to create boring stuff, right?
0: Yeah, no. And that's a really good point because these these brands have become such everyday names like mountain dew red bull monster that like it seems normal now but like that was that was ugly back in 1940 back in you know whenever the brand was introduced
1: that's Uh, it and you could keep going with that list too right and people always go why the name ugly i'd say well why the name monster why yeah (laughs) why why even like gatorade like exactly what is gatorade there's so (laughs) many stories behind these things and i just think you know, obviously the liquids inside those packages are like more dated now, but the brands in many cases feel as fresh as ever. And so, yeah, I think that they obviously have challenges on the liquid side, but yeah, <laughs> right. brands are still incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah. I those mean, even fast. like Doritos, like what's yeah. a Dorito. <laughs> exactly, right? And this is
1: my point, And it's, you know, it, 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 that's where they're the brands and you walk into grocery stores that, you know, they're stacked up, they're disruptive and they're impossible to copy. 'Cause even the shape of the Dorito has been thought about, right? And it's so different. Um, maybe Dorito is not the best example, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's all been thought through. And uh, flavor names and all of these things. You just just try and stand out, it would be my advice.
0: Yeah, really. That's yeah. That's so awesome. Well Hugh, I could I could keep talking to you all day, but we're coming up on time. For people who wanna you know, see how ugly ugly is. Where can they go learn more about you guys?
1: Yes. So you said uh, uglydrinks.com is our website. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter. We're at uglydrinks is our handle. If you're in the US, if you're in the UK, just add an underscore UK at the end of that. We're on TikTok and I am Ugly Hugh. So you can find me as well. And if anybody has any questions for me, feel free to direct message me or hit me on LinkedIn or email or whatever. Um, I'm always willing to help out as people kind of go on the same journey that uh, we went on and we had a lot of help along the way as well. So try and pay
0: it forward if we can. I love it. Yes. And I'll make sure all that gets linked up down in the show notes below. Hugh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better you're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this, imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak Method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. So let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how, or, or, <laughs> what, what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge and it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures uh, to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Waybreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible and we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop.